This episode of Writing Excuses is brought to you by Audible. Visit audiblepodcast.com slash excuse to start your free trial membership. Season 7, Episode 43. This is Writing Excuses, editing with James L. Sutter. Fifteen minutes long. Because you're, you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. <laughs> I'm Brandon. <laughs> I miss Dan so much. This is Mary. <laughs> and I'm Howard. And we're live at Gen Con. Dan is still in Germany. Um, he hasn't flown back in between our five minutes of preparation <laughs> between these. Yes, um, and we are missing him, as you can tell by us all flubbing our lines. Um, James, introduce yourself, if you would. Um, I'm James L. Sutter. I'm a writer and editor. I'm one of the co-creators of the Pathfinder role-playing game and the Pathfinder campaign setting. Uh, I'm specifically the person in charge of all the fiction we do, all the tie-in fiction related to the Pathfinder world. And also, my first novel just came out. It's a Pathfinder Tales novel called Death Her Death's Heretic. And its big claim to fame is that it was uh, number three on Barnes & Noble's list of the best fantasy of 2011. Cool. Awesome. I well sensed done. a lot of pent-up applause in the room. You guys love Pathfinder. <laughs> yeah. Make some noise. Thank you. <laughs> if there are listeners who don't know what Pathfinder is, um, it basically started out as an in independent RPG um, using the, the open gaming license from D&D um, from um, 3.5 and eventually became the best-selling RPG in the world, right? Uh, by many metrics, yes. Yes, yes. There are lots of metrics for this, but it eventually outsold its its um, its parent, um, the the thing that gave it birth. So, so that's kind of cool. Um, and I invited James, even though he is a writer, mostly under his editor hat, because we haven't talked um, with an editor for a while on the podcast. And all of our listeners, um, or most of them, are aspiring writers. Yeah. Um, and so, partially, number one, I want to ask, how would people submit fiction to you? Let's say that they want to write in the Pathfinder setting. How would they end up going and doing that? Well, the first thing to do if you want to write Pathfinder is to write for somebody else. Okay. Um, at the moment, just simply because of the demand so many people want to write for Pathfinder, my bar really is you have to have written fiction professionally, which okay. means sold to really, you know, smaller presses are fine as long as you're getting paid to write fiction. Okay. Um, but once you've had some sales, uh, it's really as simple as just sending me an email. I, I'm james.sutter at paizo.com with a little resume that says, here's where I've been published, and here are a couple of short stories or chapter excerpts from novels I've done. Uh, and then we, we go from there. I mean, the competition is stiff. I've got a lot of you know, great folks from uh, Dave Gross, whose book you, uh, Mary was reading in the phone sex voice earlier, Prince of Wolves. That's one of the Pathfinder Tales novels, and it has never sounded so good. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, really, there's a... It's always open. I'm always looking for authors. Um, do you do short story collections, or are you only doing novels? We do everything, actually. Right. So the novels are you know, sort of the big thing that we're pushing, but we also do serialized uh, novellas that we do alongside each of our adventure paths, which are, are our giant six-part campaigns. Uh -huh. uh, and then we also do short fiction, which we release for free on paizo.com, P-A-I-Z-O. Uh -huh. uh, and so every week we release a new serialized short story that's also illustrated and I'm always hiring authors for that and many times those authors go on to be our novelists as okay. well. Okay, excellent. Um, now, tell me kind of from an editor standpoint what you're looking for. When they send those short stories that may be published, uh, what is it in there that grabs you and says, ah, this is someone who could write for us? Wow. Um, 
you know, creativity is part of it, but a lot of it is just show me that you have really excellent prose. Like, I, I know a lot of people who, you know, they care only about the ideas and they don't really care so much about mm -hmm. the writing. I am not that person. I really want to see that somebody can do, you know, smooth prose, good dialogue, that they can grab me quickly, um, but also that there are interesting ideas there, even though I, you know, I'm buying for a, you know, for a Pathfinder role-playing game mm -hmm. uh, audience, I really want people who aren't just going to give me all the time uh, the transcript of their role-playing game. Okay. You know, I want people who can be creative within the setting, mm -hmm. but if you're sending me your independent stuff, show me that you can be creative on your own. Okay. And then I'd rather cram somebody creative into the sandbox we've created mm -hmm. than have somebody who, you know, doesn't, can't do any of that. Okay. Um... Now, you have just basically launched the book line pretty recently. Yeah, it's only about two years old at uh -huh. this point. How did, I, I'm curious how you went about doing that. Like, what, really, how did you adapt role-playing setting to fiction? And you oversaw this whole thing. Yeah, yeah, um, I've and been so here from the beginning. What, what did you do? How did you do this? How did you, like, I don't even know how you would begin. Well, it's something we've always wanted to do because I know, uh, you know, I, like probably many, you know, fantasy authors and readers, grew up reading tie-in fiction. I mean, mm -hmm. I think that oftentimes it gets a very negative stereotype. People go, oh, that's, you know, corporate fantasy, or, you know, it's got a brand name on the top, so it can't be good. And yet, the people saying that probably, when they were younger, read Dragonlance, read Forgotten Realms, read Star Wars, and, or Halo, or whatever, the same way that I did and everybody else I know pretty much did. Uh, and so we really had always thought that one of the ways we'll know we're really a successful role-playing game is when we have novels set in our world. So it was kind of a labor of love for us. Uh, but it was, it was also scary. We did a lot of experimenting, publishing for a while, uh, classic novels as part of the Planet Stories line. And that sort mm -hmm. of taught us, and that was all like old grandmasters uh, who'd fallen out of print of science fiction. Oh, things. okay. So okay. That we brought reprints. back. Uh -huh. Yeah, and so that sort of gave us an idea of how the book channels worked. Oh, that's really smart. Yeah. That's a smart way to approach this. <laughs> well, wow. yeah, and I mean, it, it was hard, uh, surprisingly hard selling classics. Uh -huh. um, the attention span is very, uh, very short, we've discovered. Yeah. <laughs> you want to open a grocery store, so you experimented by opening a fruit stand. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So we... Um, then we moved on and uh, we launched the line. Dave Gross uh, with Prince of Wolves was the first novel we published, but we've really just been trying to bring in people from both the uh, you know the established game writers, folks like Dave and Robin Laws and Elaine Cunningham, who had done tie-in fantasy that a lot of people knew, but also going to the you know just general science fiction and fantasy authors and bringing in folks like. Howard Andrew Jones or Leanne Merciel or mm -hmm. Tim Pratt, who's I mean, a Hugo Award winner, like right. folks who really had um, pull on sort of both sides of the line. Because I think that I really want to break down that stereotype that tie-in fantasy isn't good fantasy. I really think that it can be great. It's just you have to care about it. And so caring about it a lot is my job. Right. All right. Let's stop for our book of the week. Um, and James, you were going to pitch a book for us. Yeah, yeah. Um, I thought that uh, China Mieville's Rail Sea, which I'm actually reading right now on Audible, uh, is fabulous. And I really love, with all of China's stuff, his ability to take ideas that sound ridiculous, perhaps even stupid, and by writing it so well, make you totally buy in and be so excited about it. You know, in this one, it's a novel that starts out and it's all about um, essentially Moby Dick 
if instead of boats it was trains, and instead of whales you're hunting giant moles. <laughs> and that's, that's one of those ideas that sounds ridiculous, and he makes it work. That's kind of the way his career has gone. He makes it work but, yes. with these like, screwy things. So. Uh, you know, I told him one time, I was like, just so you know, I describe you to everyone I meet as the guy who took cactus people as mm -hmm. an idea and and made it fly, um, which and I it, think is an incredible. And it's very literary too. Yeah, oh, it's, yeah. It's, it's not like he's. It, I mean, it's it's really serious and it works. It actually just China totally is brilliant. Works. He's actually I, I've had the honor to work with him on some Pathfinder stuff as oh. well because he's a gamer. Uh, and it was really fun. I worked on him to create an anglerfish person monster and a whole little kingdom for them <laughs> in our world. So it's a small world. Awesome. Howard? Audiblepodcast.com slash excuse. You can go out there, start a free 30-day trial membership, and download Rail Sea by China Mieville, uh, narrated by Jonathan Cowley. There's also a version narrated by Tom Lawrence. So Mieville's covered twice out there. Yeah. Awesome. All right. So um, I'm going to throw a question at you I threw at Monty um, earlier, and that is uh, he has never taken any of his like campaign. Uh, anything he's played and written fiction based on it. Have you done that? I also have never taken stuff from my game and put it into my fiction. Um, mm -hmm. I have taken stuff that I've written for the game, right? And then put it. I mean, since I right. designed so much of Galarian with you know my coworkers, right. uh, there's certainly parts of that that are mine that I love to play with, um, but never from my personal game for a lot of the same reasons he said. I just. I think that a lot of what's fun around the table is based on the people involved. And you know what's funny about that character might not be that character, but the way that that character is so different from your friend that you already know in real life. Right. right. Um, There's just so from, much baggage. From the sounds yeah. of this, I, yeah. you know, James, I, after having both you and Monty, who are both uh, you know, game designer, game creator, world builder, and authors, saying, yes, I role play, and I never try and do this. That might be good advice for our <laughs> listeners. Now, now, that said, I will give a caveat that I don't think Monty did, which is I find myself sometimes playing with themes uh -huh. and tropes that then show up. Like, right. uh, I realized that, um, so my, my novel, Death's Heretic, which just came out, is uh, it's all about an atheist uh, who's forced into solving problems for the goddess of death. And it, because nice. it's set in a world where the gods are objectively real, and I'm fascinated by this idea of, how do you be an atheist when anybody, you know, you can walk up to any cleric on the street and say, is God real? And they say, well, let's ask. And they cast commune, and God says, yes. And then you're, then you're done, right? Um, and so uh, I was really fascinated by that idea. And That's so, one of the best book pitches I've heard, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. And so I, I wrote this book, and I was all extremely pleased with it, and then realized um, much later that I had actually been playing had several different atheist characters, different takes on that uh -huh. idea that I'd played in various home games, and actually one of them that I'd actually published uh, that character somewhere else. And somebody said, "You've kind of got a kind of got a thing going uh -huh. on." I went, "Oh no, you're right." Or, yeah, that's, Yay, that's, I've got a thing. Yeah. <laughs> as an aside, that's kind of scary as a writer, but you end up doing it. Like yes. books will tackle themes. You'll write a book, and it'll make you really interested in this theme, and then you'll say, "Oh, I." didn't do that all the way. I could do it again from a different perspective and you end up writing this other book and then people are like, oh, you're typecasting yourself. You know what I always hated about lit classes in college yeah. was that the, I felt like every time they were saying, well, what theme is the author trying to get in here? And now that I've been doing it longer, I realize I think most of those authors weren't trying to get that theme in there no. at all. I think it was yeah. just what the author was thinking about at the time. 
Um, now, getting back to the whole editing thing, yeah. um, I don't know if, we can, if you can answer this in a different way than before, but uh, we talk, I asked you what you liked, what, what really grabbed you. What are some turnoffs to you? When you were doing this initially and getting you know, maybe fiction submissions, when, when, what really turns you off on a submission? Well, I mean, I think it's the same for tie-in as it is for editors okay. everywhere. Um, things that really turn me off are manuscripts that have not been proofread. Okay. I can never believe the number of even, you know, quote-unquote professional authors who you look at the first page and it's typos and misspellings and just clunky sentences. And I don't know why they're not going through the very basic process of spell-checking their work, you know, letting something sit and coming back to it a week later, having a friend read it. Like, there's a lot of stuff you can do that's very basic to polish up your first draft. But after that, um, you know, really, the, thing, the worst thing you can do to me, other than just, like, having crappy writing, is being boring. Uh. Like, like I was saying earlier, I really don't like seeing stories, if they're creator-owned, that are just Tolkien with the serial numbers filed uh -huh. off, or... Pathfinder with the serial numbers filed off. You, know, you might think that because I helped make this thing, that I want everything to be like it. But you know, I'm a I'm a world builder. I love world building, and so I want to see other people build mm. interesting worlds. When I read the novels that I really like, whether they're China or Dan Simmons or whoever, are the ones that take me to totally different worlds that I haven't seen before. And that's what's really exciting. That's why I read science fiction and fantasy is to see new things. And if I don't see that in somebody's work, then it's just another epic fantasy piece. Um, if someone wants to write tie-in, yeah. um, not breaking in, I'm talking more about the technical stuff. Is there any advice, like when you've got an author, you say you've brought this creative person in, that you yeah. really, and they're going to write a book for you, and now they have to be, kind of be in this box, a box yeah. they've never been in before. Um, you, is there advice you give them on how to go about doing that? Um, first off, do the research, know uh -huh. the setting, um, play the game if you, if you can. I think that helps a lot. Um, and I've been fortunate enough to have a lot of authors come to me saying, you know, I'm an established author, also I love your game, which makes it way easier on my part. Um, but yeah, other than doing the research, I think that, uh, you know, realize that the rules are there for a reason. Like, uh -huh. the, the rules are an attempt to mimic or to represent the physics that govern the world that we've created. Uh -huh. And so, you know, sometimes authors will say, well, why can't you just, why can't you just bend the rules for me? And it's like, well, why can't you bend the rule of gravity in your historical fiction? Like the rules regarding our magic system. I, I, I do. No. <laughs> <laughs> but then it's, then it is magical. Right. Yeah, I'm yeah, kidding. Um, but no, but a, a lot of authors don't really get that. Um, and sometimes, depending on the rule system you're working with, uh, it can be helpful to stat up the character. Um, but most importantly, talk to your editor. Your editor is there to help you. Mm. Um, and so if you don't know how to make something work within the game, talk to your editor, brainstorm it out. I mean, half my job is, you know, when an author comes to me and says, I've got this scene, I want this to happen, but I don't know how to make it work. You know, what spell would be good here? And then I go and potentially talk to the designers and tell them, well, here's, here's how we think that could work. And it inevitably ends up being better than if the author had just tried to fudge something or clutch it together. All right. Well, um, I think we're out of time. I'm going to hit you up for a writing prompt. Okay. Um, so for a writing prompt, uh, I really like moral ambiguity. Um, so write a story in which all the characters are simultaneously the good guy and the bad guy. Okay. And your book again was? Uh, Death's, Death's Heretic. Heretic. Yep. All right. Thank you very much for being on the podcast.
And uh, thank you all for listening. You're out of excuses. Now go right. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like... Do you want to do a one-on-one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus.